Colossians chapter 3, now that you are sure that you're saved. The Apostle Paul continues to write his letter to the Christians in the city of Colossae. He's let them know back in chapter 1 that he's been praying fervently for them. He heard about them and how there were some false teachers uh, infiltrating and upsetting them, and he began to pray for them. And he spent the rest of chapter 1 describing the awesomeness of Jesus, the Savior, the Messiah, uh, all the eternal realities of the, the, the Messiah who had come. Because there are there are still nuts out there that say the Messiah has not come. Uh, the, if you made an Orthodox or a Hasidic Jew, they will say, Hamashiach has not come yet. The Messiah has not come. And uh, I have news for them. They missed him. He has come. Uh, then by the end of chapter 1, he describes what a minister of the word is like, what the minister is like, what it's like to, to preach, what's it like to live the gospel. Then he went into chapter 2, and he talks about, I'm worried about the false teachers that are moving around amongst Christians. Isn't it funny? Whenever God does something, the devil comes in there, and uh, like uh, like you set out on a picnic, you set out your food, and who shows up? The ants and the flies and the bugs and stuff like this. Well, he was worried about false teachers uh, infiltrating and upsetting the flock. Acts chapter 20 says, when I leave, Paul said, I know that after I leave shall uh, grievous wolves enter in, not sparing the flock. They'll devour the flock. So he's very worried about them. And then he spends the rest of chapter 2 and he says, I want to ground you in the truth that Christ is all you'll ever need. There's no, there's no uh, second blessing or third level in Christianity. There's no evidences that, that people say prove that you're spiritual and things like this. Christ is all you will ever need to be to be saved and to walk into the, the, the streets of gold in heaven one day. And you are complete in him. There's not something lacking. When you got saved, that was not the beginning of your journey. That's, that's idiotic. The moment you got saved, you got eternal life. You are complete. Uh, there's nothing lacking in you now that you have Christ because Christ in you is the hope of glory. It's all you need. So we come to chapter 3, and he asks the believer to test himself. Go to Colossians chapter 3, and verse 1. <clears throat> Colossians chapter 3 and verse 1. He says, if ye then... Oh, let me pray. Let me pray here. Father, we've already prayed, but I feel like... Uh, I'd really like for you to make sure you're in charge here. And just thrill our hearts with the, the, the powerful words of Scripture. That it would grip us and, 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 and we, would, we would examine ourselves. And find out, are we sure that we're saved? We are, if we are, then there are some great things and some important things we, we need to do now. Not to be saved, but because we are saved, because we have life. And we have your son. So bless and teach from your word tonight to your people in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. <clears throat> Test yourself. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. Look at the, the phrase. He says, if ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Now, you, most of all, need to know that you're born again. You need to know that you're saved from the wrath to come, that you are justified by the substitutionary death of Christ in your place. You need to know that you've been redeemed from all the debts of your past. Think about it. I mean, all... Oh, before you got saved, all of that sin piled up, piled up, piled up, piled up. 
and you worried about how am I going to pay all this off? How am I going to make these things right? What am I going to do when I stand before God? Let me just tell you, you've been redeemed. All of that has been paid off. You've been converted from sinner to saint. And you've been resurrected in Christ. And the question is this. You need to know that. He doesn't say, if you hope one day to rise with Christ. Do you hear that? He didn't say that. You see, most the Jehovah's Witnesses talk about a future resurrection. Old group, they're gone now, but they were called Armstrongism. They were called British Israelism. Uh, they were a cult, and they, they taught that when you died, you died, and you went to the grave, and you stayed there until the great resurrection someday, way off in the future. The Bible then talks that way. Notice, I'm already resurrected. Amen? If you are resurrected in Christ. Are you with me? So this is a present tense reality. It's as if he's saying, if you then are saved, this is what you ought to do. So, are you risen with Christ? He talks about that resurrection. He talks about it like it's a possibility. Go to 2 Corinthians. Holding your place here, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 5. <clears throat> 2 Corinthians 13 and verse 5. <clears throat> 2 Corinthians 13, 5 says, Examine your neighbor. Is that what it says? Examine your husband. <laughs> Examine yourselves, whether ye be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves how that Jesus Christ is in you? Except you be reprobates. Unless you're lost, unless you be a faker and a fraud. So the question is, are you in the faith? If you put yourself to the test, could you actually pass it? Could you prove in a court of law that you're a Christian? Could you be able to quote, I mean, I remember when I was ordained and I was set down and there were 20 some odd men there and they threw questions at me and questioned me, what do you believe about this? What do you know about this? But the most important question they asked me, do you know you're saved? That's the most important question. And they said, prove it. <laughs> Amen. Prove it. Are you able to prove to yourself? You may not be able to prove it to me. I don't know, you know, I want to see a better life, you know. But you ought to be able to prove to yourself that you know that you know that Jesus saved you. There, had been, there ought to have been a place and a time. You say, I don't remember the time, but I remember the place. The point is you ought to be able to say there's proof that Christ is in me. Amen. And if you can't prove it, at least ask somebody else, Do they? did they see a change? Did they see um, uh, only what God could do, reaching down and pulling you out of the miry clay? So test yourself. Now, <clears throat> Uh, what is salvation? Look what he says. If ye then be risen with Christ. Let me ask you this. Let me ask you. Brother Darren, has there ever been a time where you've died? Okay, good. All right. Not a trick question. And yet this says, if ye be risen with Christ. So technically, we've got to move out of the physical and start to look at something spiritual and say, well, which part of me was dead? And got resurrected. Was it my body? I've never been dead. You've never been dead. Amen. So is it my soul that was dead? It can't have been my soul because my soul never dies. My soul never will die. As a matter of fact, if you're not counting on going to heaven, you will go to hell and you will wish that you could die. But you will never die. So it can't be about my soul. What part of us gets resurrected? 
risen with Christ. Let me raise your hand. Your spirit. That part of you that 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 is dead towards God, it can't communicate with God, it can't hear God, it is filled with everything dark and every demonic, filthy, wicked demon <clears throat> before you got saved. So salvation is a resurrection of the spirit. It is a new life, and that new life ought to just flow through your life. It ought to be evident that there's new life there. You ought to live as if you never lived before. I remember, I, I, remember, um, uh, I finally got glasses several years ago. Almost as old as a long time ago. I finally got glasses, and I remember I had, it had been years. When I put those glasses on, I still have them. When I put those glasses on, I could see blades of grass. I went, they're beautiful. <laughs> All of a sudden, it was clear. But can you imagine being blind? And then being able to be given the, the gift of sight, and you could see colors. You could see mountains and sunsets and sunrises and waves and oceans. How would you live after you got your sight? What about hearing? What if you had never heard a I love you? What if you had never heard a heartbeat? What if you had never heard the chirping of birds and the songs of, 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 uh, uh, of, of people singing? What if you had never heard that all of a sudden you could hear it? How would you live? You would yearn to hear and to experience life different than you used to when you were deaf or when you were blind, amen? And if you've been resurrected, it ought to show. Would you agree with me? If that part in you now is alive, it ought to be just so real and so vibrant too. So test yourself. Test. Look at yourself and go, does my life show anything of life? More than just selfish, pleasure, entertainment-seeking, standard, western deadness. Now, he goes on and he puts that big word if there in verse 1. He says, if ye then be risen with Christ, if you are resurrected in Christ, then you need to do the following things to stay sane, to stay stable, and to stay strong in the Lord. If you can pass that test, and I hope you can, let's go on to the next thing. What is our, what, and there are, let me just give you a brief thing. Um, uh, you need to do the first, the, the following four things. Now we're only going to look at one tonight. And he doesn't list circumcision among them. He doesn't list keeping the Sabbath among them. He doesn't talk about praying the rosary among them. He doesn't talk about giving up something for Lent. He says the, far, the, the four following things. Number one, set your affection on things above. That's the first thing we're going to talk about tonight. Secondly, next week we'll talk about mortifying your old nature every time it tries to act. Thirdly, it says, replace all your old ways of thinking and living with the life of Christ. And lastly, extend that new way of living into your marriage, into your home, and to your workplace. So if I really am saved, if I really am resurrected, it ought to be lived now at home. It ought to be lived now in my marriage. It ought to be lived now on the job. We're going to talk about that over the next several weeks. Colossians chapter 3 is very practical, very practical. We're going to start about this first one. Look there, keep reading. Verse 1 and 2 again, it says, If ye then be risen with Christ, this is what we ought to do. Seek those things which are where? Above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. I'm glad he said that because he said, Seek those things that were above. He may be talking about stars and planets and galaxies. No, he went way beyond that, didn't he? He said, forget it. I mean, it is beautiful. I love astronomy. I love seeing the, the, the glory of the handiwork of God, but uh, my affection's not there. He says, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth 
on the right hand of God. Verse 2, set your affection on things above and not on things on the earth. So, so what are we supposed to do? Seek what is above in heaven. When he says seek, give me another word for seek. Desire, that's good. I'm looking for a stronger word. Say again. Circle, search, seek, search. What did you say, Tony? Search. Is there something else? Psalm 65, go to Psalm 65. Or 63, sorry. Hold in your place here, Psalm 63. <clears throat> Is it cold in here? I don't know, like they turned off the heat. Andrew, you want to go tell them to stop it? Turn it back on. Psalm 63, verse 1. <clears throat> Psalm 63, 1. O God, thou art my God. Early, where here's our word, will I seek thee. And then he uses some extra words to help you understand what kind of seeking. My soul, what's the next word? Now, if you're thirsty, if you're dying of thirst, you're going to be looking for, seeking for water, won't you? He says, my soul thirsteth for thee. My, What's another word? My flesh, what's the next word? Longeth for thee in a dry and a thirsty land where no water is. All right, so now we've got some depth to this thing. To seek is to long for, to yearn, to hunger, to thirst, to desire, to search. Good. <clears throat> uh now, before I do that, look what he says there. Set your fiction on things above and not where? On things on the earth. All right. Somebody tell me, go to First John chapter 2. Somebody tell me, what are things that people seek for that are down here? <clears throat> Raise your hand. Tell me, what is it that some people seek for? Sherry, you know what you, you got an idea? Fame. Excellent. That's the first one on my list. Careers. Or let me just put it this way, success in careers. All right? What else? Yes, ma'am. Riches, wealth. What else? Marcus. Adventures. All right. You want to be at that buzz, that excitement. All right? Like running a zip line into a wall. You know, it's always exciting. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, how about power over men? And that's just not what women do. It's men love power over men. Um, entertainment. People love being entertained, being made to laugh. Somebody told me this morning, said, you know what? Most churches, they have so much entertainment. It says, but if somebody came that was used to that kind of church and sat in our church, they'd be bored stiff. And I thought, I felt bad. I thought, ooh, that hurt. And they said, yeah, but that's why we come. And I thought, well, amen, amen. Because people live for entertainment instead of hungering for God. Are you with me? First uh, John, First John chapter two, First <clears throat> John chapter two and verse fifteen. Love not the world. We're told not to love the world. Neither the things that are in the world. There's a lot here. If any man love the world, guess what's not in him. The love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, that's a lot of all. <laughs> all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but it's of the world. So instead of loving the world, so I turn. This is what repentance is. Are you with me? Repentance is I love, this is me first off, loving the things of this world. 
loving my life, loving my career plans, loving uh, my, my retirement schedule and investments, loving, uh, loving my adventures, loving my plans for life, loving my, my car and loving my accumulation, commu- accumulated things, my bigger and bigger Xbox and Y-Box and Z-Box, my, um, uh, loving my, my, uh, my power over people. I can, I can, uh, uh, hold great power over. I, I love all that. Then one day, you know what I choose? I choose to love things that are above. That's repentance. Do you know Christians need to do that? Christians need to look at the things that they're in love with and go, I gotta be careful. I gotta be careful. Because if I'm loving the things of this world, what's missing in my life? The love of the Father. So I choose to love things that are above. <clears throat> Have you ever thought about that? So, have you ever thought about what's what's to be loved? When he says, set your affection on things above, tell me, what's above that we should love? Raise your hand. Tell me, what's above? Yes, sir. God the Father is there. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. All right? You, 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 you bow to an idol. You love an idol. You love a, a picture. You're wasting your time. Uh, what else? Who else? Marcus. Okay. Uh, I can miss them. And I love them. I look forward to seeing them. Yeah, amen. If they're, if they're saved and they're up in heaven, yeah, I love them. Good, good. What else? Um, I love the fact in heaven there's no war. Amen. That would be, that'd be cool. Is that what you said? No wars? Yeah, I look forward to that. Um, what else is in heaven? Yes. Jesus. Jesus is up there. I mean, it already says there, uh, don't forget the Jesus where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Don't forget loving him. Do you know what's in heaven? Heaven's in heaven, amen? <laughs> I mean, I look forward to that. I love it. <clears throat> uh, when we were on furlough and we drove, we dropped Sarah off in, um, in, in Florida. We drove 12 hours, almost nonstop, 12 hours across the southern United States and we arrived, what was it, about 11 o'clock at night when the guard had pulled me over. <laughs> I'm driving along. They, they put these stupid speed limit signs. Just they, What they do is they put a speed limit sign, and you're, you're traveling 120 kilometers an hour, and then they put uh, an 80 and then a 50, like within 100 meters. So anyway, I'm just clipping along 120, not breaking the law, nothing, and I missed the first sign, and then I saw another sign that said 50, and I let off the accelerator, I hit the brake, and this guy's picking me up. I'm going just about 65 kilometers. I'm not barely anything over, and he pulls me over, gives me a warning. But you know what I was looking forward to? Just about five more miles, I'd be home. Go see mama. Not that mama, my mama. <clears throat> and I look forward to that, that place. Where mom lives. I look forward to, you know, I look forward to that city. I look forward to heaven. Uh, what else is in heaven that we ought to look forward to? It tells us. Say again. Departed relatives who are there for sure. How about your rewards? Treasures in heaven. See, we don't think about what I should be loving. We, we always are struggling with trying to not love what I shouldn't love without actually focusing on what I should love. And that'll be a big point here in just a few minutes. If I'm actually going to overcome my love for sin, I'm going to have to have a better thing to love. Are you with me? You won't get me. You'll get me in a minute here. All right. So, <clears throat> and by, by the way, it's one thing to know all these things. 
It is another thing to actually love them. I know that Jesus is in heaven. I know that there are streets of gold in heaven. I know there's a city called Jerusalem in heaven. I know that um, uh, there are saved uh, believers, people I know that are there in heaven. I know there are rewards in heaven. When do I ever set my affection on that? When do I put my attention and my heart and my love on that? By the way, if you have any of these new perversions, these new Bibles, they get rid of the heart. It says, set your mind on things above. Boy, that sounds scholarly, doesn't doesn't it? You know, you can have your mind on heaven all day long and do you no good at all. You better put your heart there. Because the heart's where our problem is. Seek what is above. Now, it's okay to be heavenly minded, by the way. Evidently, heaven itself is okay to look forward to. To think about, to study. You know, if you ever went on a trip somewhere, you'd go to... Uh, you go to TripAdvisor on, on, on the internet, or you'd buy one of those, those, um, travel books down at Eason's, and you'd open it up and you'd look at Italy and all the places you could go and visit. I wouldn't go, but somebody would. Um, uh, but, uh, you, you prepare yourself, you look forward to it, and you find all the places to go and the coffee shops to go to and the roads to travel. Hey, are you getting ready to do that in heaven? You're ready to do that in your future. <clears throat> it's okay to be heavenly minded. Amen. I mean, look, folks, the whole purpose to come to church is so that when you leave tonight, you're kind of picked up. You're kind of encouraged. You're kind of reminded, I'm going home one day. This is not the end. We're not home yet. This isn't what I'm going to have to deal with forever. Amen. So be heavenly minded. And he says, seek with all your affection, all your heart. You see, this is a battle that we're talking about that's for the heart. Keep thine heart, Proverbs says, with all diligence. Keep it means hold on to it. Don't let it, like a, like a, like a puppy dog, you know, or an out of control chihuahua. Don't let it just run amok. Keep thy heart with all diligence for out of it are the issues of life. That's where all of our problems begin. So we're focusing with our heart. Now, how do you overwhelm your love for things of this world? How, how do you overwhelm your love for laziness? How do you overwhelm your love for, for, um, uh, for money or for um, for sin. Well, there's a couple of thoughts that are very important. Number one, you need to crucify any old flame. What do I mean by that? Well, any old love. You ever hear that phrase? Does it, is that an American phrase? I know it's a, but is it an Irish frame or uh, phrase where your your old, what would you call it? Uh, uh, you know, go from girlfriend to girlfriend to girlfriend. Your, your old flame. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Is everybody just you have no idea? You know what it is. Okay, all right. You're going to have to, that old love's going to be crucified. Go to Galatians 5, verse 24. You know, if you ever do find the love of your life, some of you, if you're still carrying around the picture of your old flame in your wallet or in your purse, uh, let me show you my old boyfriend. And this is, you know what your boyfriend's going to say? Burn it! <laughs> Get rid of it! Amen? Isn't that right? Wouldn't you? Of course you would. And the Bible says this in Galatians 5.24. They that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the what? With the affections and with all of the lusts. So whatever, whatever relationship you used to have to some sin or some habit or some love or some body or something in your past, whatever affection you used to have, you need to nail it to the cross. You need to put it there and let it die. That's what you do. 
That's the first thing you need to do. Number two, you need to love something good more. That's why it starts off, he says, set your affection on things above, things that are eternal, things that are good, things that are holy, things that are right, things that are pure, things that are, that are um, uh, of good report. Think on those things. Love those things. And then when you look down at this world, you go, it can't compare. It can't. Love the things that are good more. Love your wife and your family more than the pleasures of sin for a season. Say, I'm not married. Love your future wife more than some pleasure and some sin now. Amen. Are you with me? Love your Bible more than the entertainment that you subject yourself to for hours on end. Love your church more than your pillow on Sundays. Love something good more than the thing that you're battling. Makes it easier. Third, choose to think and ponder and get to know the new man. This new love. The reason why some people don't know, don't love Jesus because they really don't even know him. I can spend my hours on a Sunday, and Sunday morning, Sunday night, and you still go, duh. Just write Homer Simpson right over your head. Because no matter what I say, no matter what I teach, you're not getting it because you don't want it. It's not something you yearn for. And my heart aches and says, you know, if you only knew Jesus, you couldn't help but love him more than the sin that you're struggling with. Choose to, and if you think about him, and truly, nobody just loves Jesus. I didn't love Jesus until somebody kept showing me over and over and over what he did for me, who he was, how, how selfless he was, what he did for me. And the more I heard it in church and then at the kitchen table when John Cranford led me to Christ and he went over the life and the death of Christ and the resurrection, I just stood back and I went, wow, he did that for me? How can I help but love him? So, if, if, if all, and have you noticed it? Have you noticed? Our old flesh loves to just wander. Just, just go with the flow. Whatever's on TV, whatever everybody's doing. What are you doing this week? Where are you going? What, uh, what, what adventure are you on? On and on and on. And you don't ever think about Christ. And you wonder why you're so cold and carnal and backslid. Amen. I also believe this, the right kind of music in your home, in your, in our church, any kind of church, the right kind of music in homes and churches will help you. If you're struggling with some sin that you love and you don't want to give up, let me tell you, is you watch your music. You still listen to 96 FM or Red FM or some of these other wicked stations. And if you're on uh, Spotify and you're listening to all this music that is all about you and all about emotions and all about feelings, let me tell you this, you'll never overwhelm the love for this world. You'll never overwhelm it. You'll just be in bondage to it. So the right kind of music in your home will go a long way to helping you be able to overwhelm wrong love. Do you know, this this hymnal is an amazing book. Now, I do a program on on Friday nights. I haven't been able to do it for the last two Friday nights. But uh, I do a program just on hymns. And it kind of got a snicker or two by a couple of different people. Do you know what? Those hymns can settle a heart like nothing else can. Uh, four out of every five hymns, almost 80% of all those hymns have at least one stanza about heaven in it. And they were written by people who worked their tail off for 14 hours a day, milking cows, struggling just to survive. Uh, I tell the backgrounds on the hymns on a Friday night and stuff, and most of the writers never had a good day, had struggles, had bad health, 
uh, tried to live for God and were stopped because of bad health or because of lack of finances. Uh, the people who wrote these hymns weren't living in ivory palaces and didn't have everything they wanted. They had nothing, and yet they wrote about heaven. And they encouraged themselves in the Lord. Let me tell you, the right kind of music will pick you up too. It will. Now, why have a heart for heaven? Why, why, why even focus on the heart for heaven? Why does he say, set your affection on things above? Number one, because the here and now is only here and now. Go to James. Go to James. We'll come back to uh, Colossians here in a moment. James. James chapter 4, verse 14. Needy, do you remember it? James 4, 14. Oh, really? I thought you got all the way to 4. Here we go. James 4, 14. Where, whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. For what is your life? James 4, 14. It is even a what? Like yesterday when you went outside and you went, that vapor went out and it says, is a, a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. Why have a heart for heaven? Because the here and now is only here and now and then it's gone. Secondly, because you died when you got saved. Now, I need you to go back to Colossians chapter 3 and we'll pick this up in verse 3. He says, verse 2, set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth, for ye, verse 3, are what? Now, I don't feel dead. How many of you feel dead? How many of you are rotten right now? Now, you're rotten, but not rotting. How many, none of us are dead, so he's not talking physically, feeling-wise, but we're dealing with when God sees you, you know what he sees? This is a dead man, a dead woman, physically. He sees us alive in what area of our life? spiritually. I'm now alive in Christ spiritually, but as far as God's concerned, he says, I'm what? I'm dead. Now, when I got saved, as far as God's concerned, part of me died. It's called the old me or the old man. And and somebody wants to describe it this way. You may not. I got saved when I was 17. I've been dragging a corpse around for the last 37 years. I'm mean, just dragging it around, and it, it's, a, it's a morbid thought, but the idea is I'm just waiting for this thing to finally drop. Amen? And it will one day. Hallelujah. All right. So when I got saved, the reason why I need to have a heart for heaven is because everything here is either dead or dying. Amen? Third reason, because all your sins have been forgiven. Go back to chapter 2 and verse 13. Why have a heart for heaven? Chapter 2, verse 13 in Colossians, and you being, here we are, before I was saved, I was dead in my sins, and the uncircumcision of my flesh hath he quickened, resurrected together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. Okay, so uh, the um, great truth is here, We've been forgiven. And we were forgiven not just to be forgiven. We were forgiven for a greater purpose. Think about that. You know, my greater purpose now is that sin doesn't have dominion over me anymore. That my life actually is like a mirror reflecting 
the grace of God and the, and the wisdom of God and the, the, the hand of God and the work of God now through the likes of somebody like me. The reason why he forgave me was so he could use me. He just didn't forgive me just to say, okay, now go live how you want. No, he says, now I got a job for you. So the greater purpose of my life is that, that I get to serve God. Are you with me? Say it with me. I get to serve God. I couldn't serve God before I got saved. There was nothing I could do that could please God. But they that come to God must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. Just like our first verse, CPB in the risen with Christ, seek those things from above. You know, I, when I just want to serve Him, I'm actually fulfilling my actual purpose in life. I just want to do something for Him. That's why I was forgiven, so I could serve Him. You know, another reason why we ought to have a heart for, for, for heaven is because heaven is home. I said it this morning. Some people aren't going because they don't want it to be their home. It's not the thing that they want in their life. They don't want to worship God. They don't want to sing. They don't want to rejoice. They don't want holiness. They don't want purity. They don't want true joy. I do. Heaven's home. There's another truth here in Colossians chapter 3, and I'm racing as fast as I can. Verse 3 says this, For ye are dead, and your life is where? I like that. I pondered that this afternoon. I went over this message, and I started looking at it going, My life is hid with Christ and God. You know all the treasures you seek? You know where they're hiding? I know there's some, there's some uh, people who put out some books and some uh, videos and things on the Bible code. There's a code in the Bible. And there are people, uh, this Daniel Brown, or what's his name? Dan Brown, who wrote The Secret and wrote another one. What was the other thing they made a movie out of? What's it called? The Da Vinci Code or something like that? I don't even know. The point is, they're trying to say there's some secrets. You know, you go searching for all these crazy little treasures and little markers that tell you something. Listen, all that's a joke. You know where all my treasures are and all the real treasures are? They're hid with Christ. They're hidden Christ. I mean, it's it's when I, I I'll tell you a little bit more about my grandfather. My grandfather used to like if you ever uh, uh, the older generation was like this. Their pockets weren't filled with keys and with with uh, phones and with with I don't know. You know what my grandfather's pockets were filled with sweets and coins that I thought were treasures. And I'd come to my grandfather and I'd put my hand in my, his pocket and I'd be pulling stuff out. I'd go, woo! And I'd go, wow. <laughs> I found a new treasure. That's what grandpa's pockets were for. Amen. You know, all the treasures that you could ever look for, you'll never find them anywhere else than those that are hid in Christ. And they are hid. They are meant to be found. They're meant for you to spend time with him and to walk away going, I got something. You know, there's no greater joy in this church than when you're reading your Bible and you're praying and you get an answer to prayer and you find something that ministers to you from the Word of God, from the presence of God. That's a treasure. Our life, our life is is hid in Christ. Everything I need, everything I want, everything I'm searching for is in Him. It's hid with Christ, in God. Uh... Another thing, why have a heart for heaven? Because you're going to be with Jesus for a very long time. 
<clears throat> you know where he goes? I'm a going. <laughs> Go to John 14. John chapter 14. John 14 in verse 1. Let not your, what's the word? Heart. Here we go. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Hey, believe also in me. Verse 2, John 14, 2. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place just for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. Hallelujah. And receive you unto myself so that where I am, there you may be also forever and ever. Go to chapter 12 and verse 26. <clears throat> go back 12, 26. If any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, no matter where it is, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. <clears throat> Why have a heart for heaven? Because you're going to be with Jesus for a long time. Might as well get used to it now. Can you imagine falling in love with, with somebody and not ever, never, not, and, and, and in, in America, back in the 1800s, uh, there were a lot of people who were called gold prospectors and people who moved out west and they went out and they built railroads, but they were lonely. And so the newspapers would come around once a month and there was a section there called Mail Order Brides. It was true, it's true. And these, I mean, I don't know who'd do it, but anyway, these guys would sit there and they would sort of describe themselves, you know, I'm five foot three, I've got long black hair. And he'd go, sold, I'll take her, bring her on, amen. And and he'd, he'd order that woman to move from New York City or wherever, I don't know what the name is, and he'd be written, looking forward to this person that she'd come, she's got 17 warts, she hobbles along, no, not really. But the point is, I don't know if I could do that. If you're ever going to fall in love with somebody, you ought to know them, man. I mean, it's just, it's just, if I'm going to be spending so much time with him, shouldn't I be spending time with him now, amen? I shouldn't wait till I get to heaven before I go, so you're Jesus. Oh, let me catch up. <laughs> Why have a heart for heaven? It's just the place where your heart belongs. According to that Bible, let me say this. It is vital for a stable life. I just have something to say here. Those who struggle with depression and giving into sin, constantly giving up, have nothing they're looking forward to. They only see the past and the present. They never can see anything good ahead. And they try, and it's nothing but failure. Let me say it. You need to have something to look forward to if you're going to stay sane. Secondly, reason why people have unstable lives. Why in this day and age so many people are on Ritalin and on, on so many different drugs to try to stabilize them. Let me tell you, because they're trying to keep control of their life. They're trying to keep control of their life. They're trying to make sense of their life. They're trying to make the plans for their life. And you know what? They're failing miserably. Third reason why people struggle with depression, giving into sin and giving up is because they constantly beat themselves up over sins that are past and over all their frailties. Let me tell you, God doesn't do that. Don't you do it either. Amen. And really, John chapter 21 will blow you away. John chapter 21. The most vital thing for a person, a human being, breathing, living human being, the most vital thing that they need 
To receive is the love of God. And the most vital thing that they can do is to love God. Uh, John chapter 21. John chapter 21 and verse 15. So when they had dined, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, I got one question for you. I'll ask it three times. Lovest thou me more than these? And he saith unto him, like any husband at the breakfast table reading the paper, not paying attention, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Well, feed my lambs. Verse 16, he saith unto him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, I got a question for you. Lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Well, feed my sheep. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? And Peter was grieved. Now he's like, why do you keep asking the same question? Because he said unto him the third time, lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. You already know everything. Why would you even ask such a dumb question? Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, feed my sheep. Why did he ask all that? Why did he nail him and say, do you really love me? Because verse 18, he says, verily, verily, I say unto thee, when I was young, you controlled your life. You girded yourself. You walked where thou wouldest. You had your career. You had your money uh, path. You were, everything was settled for you. You went and you did whatever you would. But now, when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thine hands and another shall gird thee, not with good clothes, and carry thee whither thou wouldest not, where you would never go. Verse 19, this spake he signifying by what death Peter should glorify God. And when he had spoken unto it, spoken this, he saith unto him, follow me. Now, Peter was not happy. Peter was looking at him going, wait a minute, Lord. I'm following you. I thought this was going to be a success story. I thought everything was going to go fine now. Lord, you're risen from the dead. Everything's great, right? The Lord said, no, I need you to love me. I need you to love me enough that when I take you through the valley, when I take you through what looks like disaster after disaster, where I let people abuse you and hurt you and ultimately crucify you, I want you to still love me. I want you to do that because that's the only thing that will keep you sane. Do you see that? He settled Peter's heart before he could settle his path. Amen? All right, it is so... Why have a heart for heaven? Because it's the only way to stay sane. When your home is gone, when your family is left, when your life is in, in, in rubble, you better have something that doesn't change. You better have something that doesn't shake and doesn't crumble. Those are the things that are in heaven. And Paul's writing to Corinthians, to the, to the Christians at, at, at Colossae, and he says, guys, things may be going well, things may be going bad, but you, it doesn't matter because everything changes. You better have your heart anchored to heaven. Now, one last thing so I can get to the next point next week. Jesus is coming back, and that ought to throw us. And we're coming back with him. Last verse there in Colossians 3, verse 4. When Christ, who is our life, he is our life, shall appear, then shall you also appear with him in glory. Just real quick, notice the sequence of events here. Number one, Christ is going to appear. Is that good news or bad news? It's good news for those of us. It's bad news for the world. But he says this, then ye, those who are alive at that day, notice he says ye, not those out in the future. He says, 
then shall ye also appear already with him in his glory. That's the second coming. The second coming of Jesus Christ, and I don't have time to draw all the things, I just want to go through this thing. The sequence of events is Christ is coming back, amen? When he comes back in his glory, which means he's visible by everybody, where will we be? Waiting for him? We'll be with him already. Pre-tribulation rapture, ladies and gentlemen. Secret rapture. At the second coming, believers already will be with him and returning with him. Jesus is not coming for his people at, at his glorious second coming. He's coming with his believers. He's coming with his people. This proves a pre-trib rapture. You say, why? Prove it to me some more. Well, Jesus will have already had come secretly to gather his people, what he calls his bride, to himself. And he'll bring with them. He captures them. He, ca- he grabs them, takes them away for a honeymoon uh, at the rapture, and then seven years later, later brings them back to earth. Go to First Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 13. But I would not have you to be ignorant. 1 Thessalonians 4.13. I don't want you ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. Talking about people who have died already. That you sorrow not even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus. Isn't that a wonderful way to talk about death? Aren't you glad you're saved? Even so, uh, them also which sleep in Jesus, will God bring with him? Bring with him, yes. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them, will not block them, will not get ahead of them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump, not Donald, with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first, and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Folks, he talks about us going up verse 14, and God will bring us back. So we're going up for a little while, and then we're coming back. Um. Jesus will already have had to have come secretly to gather his people, his bride to himself. You say, that doesn't make sense. Of course it doesn't make sense because it's not your plan. I know this deep went right over your head. But people come to the Bible and say, I don't understand that. Let me tell you this. When Jesus came the first time and he was born, how many people knew about it? Very few. Just a couple of shepherds, Mary and Joseph. Amen? It came almost like in secret. Came in darkness. Came in the night was born, it it took him 30 years before he stepped out and he said, hello, and he was here, amen? So, the fact that God does some things secretly and does some things without a lot of warning, without a lot of fanfare, is how he works. So, in comes the time of the second coming. The second time he comes, oh, all, all of the earth shall see him. Every eye will see him. But we will already be with him. He's not coming to get us. Already those who sleep in Jesus will be with him, and then he'll catch us up in the air. We'll go to be with him for seven years. We're not going up and come back down instantly. That's stupid. We're going up, spending seven years. That's when the marriage supper of the Lamb is happening. That's when the judgment seat of Christ is happening. And then we come back to earth. 
So, to bring his, his people with him seven years later, already read First Thessalonians chapter 4, and believe me, New Testament believers, some people get it all confused. Old Testament believers are different than New Testament believers, amen? Do you know all the believers of the Old Testament are already with Jesus? Amen? Do you know all, uh, uh, all the descendants of Jacob now called Israel still need to be saved? They're not saved yet, and yet they will be. All Israel shall be saved. That'll happen during the tribulation. But Paul is writing about Christians. I'm neither Jew nor Gentile anymore. I have a special relationship with Jesus, referred to as the bride of Christ, and he's coming back specially for us. He says, when I go, I will come just for you. So that where I am, I'm coming to get you, take you to me, like a, like the new groom comes and gets his bride and says, come away with me. So, there are all kinds of different things. When people see there are different, there are different times, and, and that's, all, that's why we rightly divide the word of truth. I just, I just get excited because you know, even if it didn't make sense, even if it doesn't make sense, it's still coming. And it's still going to happen. And I get to enjoy it. I don't have to fear it. I don't have to worry about it. I'm not looking for the Antichrist. I'm not looking for the signs. I'm not worried about um, uh, the rebuilding of the temple. You know what I'm listening for? A shout. Come up hither. All right, so quick questions. <clears throat> Next week, I'm going to talk about the second important thing we got to do now that we're saved is mortifying our earthly, natural tendencies. And that's talking about experiencing personal holiness and sanctification. That'll be for next week. But questions, real quick. Who most of all needs to know that they're saved? Who most of all? We do. Not just Christians, but you do. You most of all need to know that you know that you know that you're born again. These things have I written unto you that ye may know that you have eternal life. Secondly, give me another word or phrase that describes salvation. I used several of them at the beginning. Give me another word that describes being saved. Okay, well, she jumped right ahead. Amen. Risen with Christ. What's another one? Redeemed. Converted. Born again. These are all phrases that are Bible phrases. Get used to saying them. They are wonderful things. Here's a good question for you. Are you risen with Christ? I mean, you ought to go, yeah, <laughs> like little Caroline. Is it, is it your birthday? <laughs> what is it? What is resurrected at the moment of salvation? The spirit. Your spirit was resurrected. I mean, you ought to know that. You say, I don't feel any different. We well, don't necessarily have to physically feel any different. You don't even kind of, I don't know if it's true, but I kind of want to say, don't worry about emotionally feeling different, but something ought to feel alive in you. So what are we first commanded to do if we are risen with Christ? Tell me again. Well, love God, but what was the phrase? Yes, ma'am? Seek, yearn, long for things that are above instead of the things on the earth. List some things that are in heaven that we should love. Jesus. What else? Come on, come on. Huh? Treasures, rewards. Yes, ma'am? Heaven itself. Amen? Well, I know you're not used to that because our mind just doesn't think that way. But I've got a reason to start pondering. According to the verse, a commandment to set my affection. If I want to be sane, how can a Christian overwhelm our love for things of this world? Just 
I gave you four or five things. What's, what's one of them? How can I overwhelm my tendency to love the things of this world? Love something better, more. Something gooder. Yes? Wow. Not, I don't have to actually crucify myself. That's right. And, you know, that may mean throwing out your TV. That may mean um, uh, getting rid of the Internet. They may mean um, uh, walking away from some of your old friends. And really, if your friends haven't disowned you yet, you're not a very good Christian. <laughs> Honestly. Everybody's like saying, I got... I'm not welcome with my friends anymore. That was easy. You see, if you had to get rid of them, it would have been hard. But they usually get rid of the Christian. That's how you overwhelm. Why have a heart for heaven? Anybody remember? I just was finishing. Why have a heart for heaven? Because your sins are forgiven. Ooh, that's a good one. What else? Yes. Oh, I'm going to live there forever. What are you going to say, Amanda? You're going to be with Jesus forever. Wow. And it's and it's so it's so important to have a stable, sane, and successful Christian life. And why does Colossians three four prove a pre tribulation rapture? Keyword: We'll already be with him when he comes back. We already will be with him. That's the sneaky way. God doesn't spell it all out. He just puts one word in there, and it settles all of the questions. Father, we love you, and we ask you to help us, Lord, to now. Take this and let it encourage us. It's been a good day. I'm glad we were able to put you first on this first day of the week. Would you help us to keep you first all week? And that will happen when we choose moment by moment to say, you know what? I'm focusing on the problems. I'm focusing on the, the struggles and on my plans and on the things that I'm trying to control. And I want to just stop right now, Lord, and just love you. I want to set my attention I want to set my heart, my affection on things above. Especially where you are. I know that that will help me. It will help my family. But it will help me reflect you a little bit better. So bless, Lord, bless our attempt this week to walk in that newness of life like we've never walked before. In Jesus' name, amen.